Well, we're looking at uh, John chapter 12, and we've already had the reading. But let me just uh, go through things again here. And I trust that you will be challenged. I'm challenging you today. God's challenging us. And uh, I'm being challenged also as I share certain things and certain stories. But John chapter 12 and verse 36, uh, While you have the light, believe in the light. Now that word while, while speaks of time or even a limited amount of time. Um, while the sun, uh, let's get the hay in while the sun shines. That's a, a term that came out of Tudor England, uh, making hay while the sun shines. Uh, there's an opportunity and God is giving people opportunities. God is giving nations opportunities. God is giving the world an opportunity to turn to the light. While you have the light, Jesus said, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. For these things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. Seems strange, doesn't it, that he went to hide himself? Um, if we were in his situation, we want everyone to follow us, to hear what we had to say. But he just withdrew at that time. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. Incredible miracles. God manifested in, in, in the flesh, uh, doing wonders and yet people were still resisting the truth. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet which he spoke, Lord who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe for Isaiah said again he has blinded their eyes and had hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Um, when Shirley and I were in Israel maybe three years ago, we were actually walking in one of the suburbs and, and a taxi stopped to pick us up. And uh, the driver was a Christian, an Arab Christian, and he knew exactly where to take us, took us to this particular Christian store that sold all sorts of things, and uh, he didn't want to take any fare. I just presumed that he expected we'd buy things in the store and probably he'd get a you know, percentage of the, of the sale. I don't know. But we insisted that we pay him. So here we are in this Christian store, and the Christian owner said, see that door over there? It leads upstairs. And every Wednesday or Thursday we have a group of Jewish rabbis who come in for a Bible study. They kind of sneak in up the stairs and there they are learning more and more about Jesus. And probably at that time they were not confessing him among their, their peers because of, of the cost that would be involved, the ostracization, uh, the letting down of family, letting down of traditions, I don't know. But um, people are believing. People are believing in Israel today as never before, which is just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. While you have the light, believe in the light. I remember when I was in a Christian gathering, hearing the gospel as a young man, um, God had been preparing my heart for that day. And I just knew that I needed to give my life to Jesus. And I just knew it had to be 100%. So as this U.S. evangelist was preaching away, Tremendous battle was raging in my heart. I knew I had to give Jesus everything. But 
there was a voice saying to me, don't be a fool, don't be a fool. If you give your life to Jesus, you'll have to live by a big set of rules. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. I didn't want that. But there was another voice speaking more quietly, more gently, and I knew it was the voice of God. And he said to me, you've heard the truth tonight. You can reject the truth if you choose. But remember, there is judgment to come. Because he was speaking on the message of the second coming of Jesus, a message I'd never heard anyone ever talk about before. But while that was happening and this battle was taking place in my heart, I just felt God was speaking to me and he was saying to me, if you say no to Jesus tonight, there will never be an opportunity for you to say yes to him again. It was a serious, I guess looking back, it was the most serious evening, the most serious day of my entire life. And even to this day, it would be the most serious day. I just felt God saying to me, you've got to make a decision. Uh, while you have the light, believe in the light. And I look back now when I was five as a little child in, in the children's mission. Thank God for those reaching the children. On the beach, Mount Monganui in New Zealand, uh, I, I remember coming out of the gospel tent and my mother was waiting for me and I just I, I tried to explain to her what had happened on the inside. But looking back, I believe I heard the word of God. I said yes to the word of God and something happened in my heart as a five-year-old. It happened again as a 12-year-old in a congregational church listening to a man singing gospel songs. It happened as a 15-year-old in a Christian camp, crusaders they were called, uh, a crusader camp. Uh, my heart had been touched. I had opened my heart and yet I had turned away just to go my own way. I guess uh, I take full responsibility myself. I went to church every week but it was a non-evangelical church. There was no talk about knowing God personally. But here I was now as a young man being confronted again with the reality of Jesus. And I felt the seriousness that if I was to say no, again, I would never have the opportunity. And of course, I was prepared to give my life to Jesus and I knew it was 100%. I had to give him everything. John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who has sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. That word draw is an interesting word. Um, it means in the Greek to drag or figuratively to, to draw. And uh, the word draw means to move in a particular direction, particularly by or as if by a pulling force. You know, God is seeking to draw us, to pull us to himself. And we have a free will, that wonderful gift of free will, and we can say no. We can say no. And my heart is, Lord, I want to say yes when I hear your voice. Hebrews 3 Verses 7 to 8, Hebrews 3, 15, Hebrews 4, 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as when they provoke me in the day of trial in the wilderness. It's possible to hear the voice of God and to say no to the voice of God and as God continues to speak, our heart can become harder and harder and harder and harder. May it not be with us. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2 And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And none of us know what's going to happen within the next few minutes even, do we? Within the next few hours. Um, we hear every day, if you listen to the news, reports of people... Um, there was a guy proposing to his girlfriend. You may have seen this on the news, was it yesterday? He chose to do it under the water. 
in some other country and uh, as he was uh, proposing, he drowned. Never heard his girlfriend say, I, I will accept you to be my husband. I mean, at a special moment, he was making it a very, very special moment. They were doing it under the water in the ocean and didn't even get the words out or couldn't get a response because he drowned in that situation. So life is uncertain. None of us know what will happen from one hour to the next, from one day to the next. And so when God is speaking to us, we need to listen and we need to respond. It's so very, very important. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, we know that uh, we, there's a God of this world. It's not the living God, it's Satan. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We need to hear the word of God, not to reject it, because if we reject it, there comes a hardening of our heart and um, it's just so tragic. Uh, there's a passage in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 that speaks of the lawless one, the Antichrist, who comes with all deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason God will send a deluding influence so that they, they will believe what is false in order that they may all be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Not receiving a love of the truth. Now, I don't know about you. I'm sure you have the same heart as me. I, I choose to love the truth. I choose to be open to the truth. I choose to understand things that I don't understand right now. Uh, is there anyone that can say, I've arrived, I, I know it all, I've got all that God has for me? Not one of us. Uh, we're in a process of being changed. But let's have open hearts and so that when God speaks, we will respond to him. So we're talking in this day particularly about unbelief. So what is unbelief? Unbelief is disbelief or rejection of belief. It's the refusal or reluctance to believe. I have a sister who's the same age as Shirley. Very, very young, my sister. Very, very young. <laughs> same age as Shirley. And uh, I have witnessed to her over the years. In fact, when uh, I became a Christian, I, I, I was too heavy on her. I bought her a Thompson chain reference Bible, you know, and I... <laughs> preached it and preached it and she made a decision. Oh, looking back now how foolish I was in my zeal uh, to, to see her saved. Um, she went through the motions but it wasn't from her heart. And uh, she's had such a lot of tragedy in her life and I've witnessed to her, others have witnessed to her. She used to work for a, a former missionary doctor. She's had many, many Christians speak into her life. I've shared the gospel with her with tears flowing down her face. I've said, I've said to her, Jennifer, I will stop, I will stop. I don't want to be preaching at you. No, keep on going, keep on going. Her best friend is a lovely Christian woman in the community in which she lives. And yet she said no, 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 no to Jesus again and again and again. And just a few years back I felt, I hope I'm wrong, but I just felt the Lord saying it's too late for her. She's hardened her heart. 
She's hardened her heart. She said no again and again and again and again and again. And it was like the day of opportunity had lifted from her. And so I can't pray for her like I used to pray for her. So very, very sad. And yet, oh God, have mercy upon her. Have mercy upon her. So let's talk a moment about the realm of belief. This is the positive side. By the way, we, we live in a society that's filled with unbelief. You'd agree? Through the media, uh, it's unbelief all around us and we're so familiar with this and we don't realise just how much it's touched us. We don't realise how much it's touched us perhaps in the educational system in which most of us have been raised. Unbelief, 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 unbelief. But we're familiar. That's all we know, so to speak. But there's another realm. It's the realm of belief, the realm of faith. And in Acts chapter 6, uh, verses 1 to 8, we read about uh, the need of deacons being set apart to, to wait upon the people. And verse 5 says, Acts 6, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Well, I would think to be filled with the Holy Spirit would be enough, wouldn't you? But it says he was filled with faith and the Holy Spirit. So obviously there was a dimension of faith operating in his life that uh, was maybe different to others around him. And there is a gift of faith, a gift of faith. There is a gift of faith. And I want to talk briefly about this book in a minute, Reinhard Bonke. Here's a man who operates in the gift of faith, uh, a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's um, a, a gift that God gives individuals or begins to operate at a moment of time so wonderful things can be accomplished that would not normally be accomplished. Stephen was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. But then in verse 8, he wasn't just cleaning up, you know, doing things after a meeting or helping a little bit here and there. Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Wow, wow. He was touching a dimension of, of faith and power and gifting that was causing signs and wonders to be experienced by people. Do we want to see that dimension? Ah, faith? I mean, I do. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Uh, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. I, I have here a copy of um, a book by Meridor Rawlings. You may remember a year or two ago, Jay and Meridor Rawlings from Israel, they came and spoke in our Sunday morning service. Well, they've just been here um, Jay and Meridal have sold, well, Jay sold the family home that was once his father's in the Noose Bay. And uh, we gave ourselves over that time to help them do things and uh, take stuff to the dump and the SOS and all that sort of stuff. Um, but they have written a number of books, and one of them is number one of eight books that be written about their, their journey in life. Uh, Jay was a former hospital administrator. Great prospects. Uh, Merida was a nurse. But God separately spoke to him over a period of few weeks individually about going to Israel and serving God in Israel. And this was 50 years ago. 50 years ago. So Jay resigned from the position in the Hamilton Hospital as the administrator. Uh, people didn't understand. His family didn't understand. But they felt the call of God to go to Israel and to serve God in Israel. Well, they booked their tickets with a, a tour group, a Christian tour group that's going to go to a number of nations and I guess they would have been dropped off in Israel while the others returned to North America. But they only had enough money to pay for Jay's fare and in those days it was $1,800 but that's 50 years ago. 
So $1,800 would have to be multiplied a number of times. But they believed that God had spoken. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so they ended up at the uh, J.F. Kennedy Airport in New York to join this group. People were going and checking in and booking, but they only had one fare, Jay's fare. The other f- and the tour guide came and said, oh, nice to see you, but Jay, you realise I had to cancel Meridal and your young son's fare because you, you didn't give me any money. Yes, I realise that, but we're believing God to, to open the door for us. So talk about beginning their particular ministry by faith. That word of God released faith in their hearts. Here they are, someone drove them all the way down to, to New York. They're in the airport, they're in the lineup, but no money and missing two tickets. So I guess the word got out and uh, the tour group leader spoke to Jay and Jay said, well, we're just trusting God. Well, I'll, I'll agree with you, I'll pray with you, this will happen. Everyone had gone through the checkout. All their bags were down on the way to the, towards the plane. And uh, there was a call. Said, Mr. Jay Rawlings, please um, pick up the white telephone. And he thought, who is this? And he picks it up and it's his mother. His mother's a believer. His father's not a believer. Um, we've just got in touch with you. How did you get in touch with us? Well, we phoned the, the airport and said our son's going on this trip and they put us through to you. Everything going well? Uh, well, um, what's happening? Well, I, I, I may have to uh, have Meridil and, and our boy, David, um, come stay with you until... You mean you don't have the full fares? No, we don't. And he just quickly told his mother the story. Oh, she said, quickly, I'll, I'll wire some money to you. Uh, it's not, a, not an issue, the money, um, but, but uh, I want you to go on that trip. We want you to go on the trip. Just at that very moment... The two people, the only two people that could have given permission for a ticket change because there was a lady that cancelled out. She had a ticket to the very same cities that Jay and Merida were going to in the, in the world and, and um, she had to cancel out. A word had come that her mother was ill and she had to go to be with her mother. So there was a ticket available and um, it was, that was made known to Jay and he said, well, I'll just talk to Merida. And then, of course, the telephone comes and there's money on the way. Only two people, the head of the SAS, the Scandinavian Airlines, was there at that moment and a guy, the head of the tour group, were there. The only two that could change the tickets. And if you have $1,800, well, 10% for your boy, he can sit on your knee. Uh, $1,980. And then one of the, the group heard it. He was a businessman. He said, I'll write the check right now and then your mother can send the money on to my account. And so up they go to the, the counter with a cheque for $1,980. All that was required. And the plane was delayed an hour, so they managed to get on board, <laughs> even though others had gone ahead of them. But that's how they began their journey to Israel, to be missionaries, although you don't use that word missionary in Israel. Um, and they've been there for over 50 years now. When I just read this again, just the last day or two, it, it stirred my heart. Oh, a man and a woman of faith. And we just had the, the privilege of just serving them over these last few weeks, uh, last month when they were here. And uh, pioneers, wonderful couple. You've met them. They were two of the founders of the Christian Embassy in Jerusalem. They've written numerous books that have touched people around the world. 
but they're men and women of faith and that's how they live to this day by faith, by faith, by faith Lord what are you saying? Faith comes by hearing willing to step out on the word of God (laughs) would you be willing to do what they've done? (laughs) I guess if we really heard from God faith comes by hearing and we can step out on that word but there's a testing that can take place as well so without faith it is impossible to please him and we may never be called of God to go to Israel or do the things that Jay and Meryl have done, but God calls us to do things, doesn't he? God speaks to our hearts and it may be some very small thing. It may be going to visit a neighbour, for instance. Just little things he wants us to do, promptings of the Holy Spirit. And as we step out by faith, then not only are we pleasing God, but we, we, we will find ourselves growing in faith, growing in faith, growing in faith. Well, let's consider some examples of unbelief, the lack of faith. In um, Matthew chapter 13, verse 53 to 58, he came to his own hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get these things? And they took offence at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. What Jesus could have done, but what he was unable to do because of the barrier of unbelief. And the Mark 6 account, Mark 6 and 6 says, Jesus wondered at their unbelief. He marveled at their unbelief. Another account, Matthew 17, 14 to 21. There was a boy who was uh, uh, manifesting uh, demonic powers and uh, the disciples tried to cast the spirit out of the boy, couldn't do it. And um, Jesus stepped in and he did it. He first of all said, Oh, how long do I have to be with you? How long do I have to put up with you? Bring him here to me. <laughs> like he commissioned his disciples to do what he was about to do. Can you imagine the exasperation that Jesus was feeling? And then when the boy was set free, um, the disciples came and said to Jesus, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, now I'm reading from the NASV, because of the littleness of your faith, but I believe that's not a good translation I prefer the authorised version that says because of your unbelief, your lack of faith. Because of your lack of faith for if you say, uh, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed you will say to this mountain move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. And then in parenthesis, uh, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. In the Mark 9 account of the story um, the father said (laughs) Jesus said to the father if you can all things are possible to him who believes and immediately the boy's father cried out and said I do believe help my unbelief can anyone relate to that oh Lord I I, I believe but I'm lacking faith help Lord help 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 and then Jesus said this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer and I've heard on occasion people say dealing with the demonic power, especially strongholds. Oh, just one command, brother, it's all done. Not when we're dealing with strongholds. There may have to be a continuation in prayer. In fact, why could they not cast out that spirit or spirits? Because of their unbelief, their lack of faith. 
because they needed to pray, even fast and pray, because they needed to be persistent in their prayer. And often we don't touch that realm of persistency. We just give up so easily. Well, over now to Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 1 to 20, talks about Jesus having risen from the dead. Uh, Verse 9, After he had risen early the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went and reported it to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. They refused to believe it. After that, he appeared in a different form to two of them as they were walking along on their way to the country. He went, they went away and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them either. Would we be in a different situation if we had been those disciples? We can easily see things from our perspective now and say, well, fancy. But what would we have done? Would we have been reacting in the same way? Verse 14, Afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table and he reproached them because of their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. As they stepped out by faith to fulfill what Jesus had told them, as they spoke the word, the Holy Spirit was working to confirm the word. And so we see supernatural authority to cast out demons, supernatural languages, uh, speaking, praising God in languages they had never learned, uh, supernatural protection in times of danger, as we see in this case, a serpents and poison mentioned, uh, supernatural power to lay hands on the sick and to heal them. These signs will follow those who believe. Why is it that these signs so often follow things in third world nations? But we don't see it so much in the West. Could it be because of our lack of believing the word of God? Could it be because of our lack of faith? Just posing that question. On Tuesday night, Shirley and I will be having a supper with a pastor and his wife. And uh, we've known them for 20, 25 years now. They're very good friends. And the church is linked to a missionary called David Hogan, uh, an unusual man. Um, I don't know anyone like David. He's just unique. He's as bold as a lion. And he has raised up through his... uh, workers in, in Mexico, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches. Hundreds. They have seen hundreds and hundreds of people raised from the dead. I mean hundreds. And this is not just someone that died five minutes ago, let's pray. Uh, these are even people that have been dead for even days. Uh, supernatural power. And I've heard David say this, when I come back to America to the Western Church. I cannot tell the American Christians all that we see God doing. 
Why? Because they wouldn't believe me. They wouldn't believe me. I've heard some of the miracles he's seen that are just out of this world. <laughs> Incredible things that God has done and through this man and uh, through his workers. In fact, to be an elder in his churches, one of the qualifications is to have raised someone from the dead. Mm. <laughs> I wonder how many people would still be elders in churches, leaders in North America, if that didn't apply to them or if it did apply to them. But I tell that story because the second person David or God used to David to raise from the dead was one of his own grandchildren. He had come in, he was tired, it was around 9.30 at night, he went upstairs to get an early night and uh, just kind of was dropping off and someone ran upstairs, quick, grandpa, grandpa, and one of the grandchildren had died. So David gets up, runs downstairs and this is what he said, this is his family. He said, anyone who does not believe that God can raise this child from the dead, please leave the house right now. I'm like, go away. And I can imagine the way David would say, because he's a very matter-of-fact person, he's just really, really quite unique. But I can understand what he was saying. I don't want any atmosphere of unbelief around here. If you don't believe that God can do it, please just, just go away at this time. And they laid the, child, the child's body on the chair. And uh, I, he doesn't say how long it took but he marched around that table again and again just commanding life in the name of Jesus and then he would lift up the leg of that little child and it would just flop back on the table but he just persisted and persisted and persisted. He was believing God the second time. The first time he went to a village and uh, he heard the wailing and the mourning up in the mountains and uh, a little boy, a 10-year-old boy had died and um, he went in there and there was the witch doctor doing his stuff and there were others doing this stuff and, and uh, then he was asked to help. Uh, he was asked to pray. And he just began to pray. The little boy was wearing a t-shirt and he just rebuked death in the name of Jesus and commanded that spirit, that human spirit to come back again. Again, he doesn't say how long it took because if it took five and a half minutes or 15 and a half minutes or two, three hours, maybe we'd say, oh, we've got to do it for that long so it'll happen. But he spoke life and then suddenly all that were watching <gasps> gasped because his chest just heaved and he began to breathe again. And David said, I didn't know what to do. I, I hadn't done this before. <laughs> well, God hadn't done this through me, but he remembered that when Jesus raised that child from the dead, he said, oh, give her something to eat. So he said, uh, give him something to eat. That was biblical. So that was the first time God had used him to raise someone from the dead. Now his own grandchild, the second person. But he had to say, unbelief go, unbelief go. And he persevered and persevered and persevered, walking around that table, calling on the Lord, praising God for life, lifting up that little leg, letting it go, flopping to the, to the ground or flopping to the table. And then there came the time. After how many minutes, I don't know. Lifted the leg and it stayed up in the air and the child began to cry. That child had come back into its body. Another wonderful miracle had taken place. Now, David, I believe, was moving in a gifting of faith. He's a unique man. He's incredible, incredible miracles. He and his workers um, in Mexico. But again, he comes back to North America. Can't say so much. People won't believe. Won't believe. 
because there's a lot of unbelief in the Western church, sadly. So, results of unbelief. Uh, Israel was broken off because of unbelief. Romans chapter 11. They were broken off for their unbelief and you stand only by your faith. Do not be conceited but fear for if God did not spare the natural branches he will not spare you either. Speaking of an olive tree. A falling away. Hebrews chapter 3. Take care brethren lest there should be in any one of you an evil unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. A lawlessness and darkness. 2 Corinthians 6, do not be bound together with unbelievers. And we see following righteousness and lawlessness compared, light and darkness, Christ and Belial, the believer and the unbeliever, the temple of God and idols. But not only is there the sin of unbelief, and uh, when I speak into this, I have to be careful. I I don't want to upset people necessarily because I say to myself, how much unbelief is in me without me knowing? You know what I'm saying? because of my secular education, because of my background, because of my lack of understanding of so much of the word of God. How much unbelief could be in me? So I challenge people, but I'm challenging myself and I'm challenging you too. There is a sin of unbelief, but there's also a spirit of unbelief. A spirit of unbelief. And what is the spirit of unbelief? This is the best definition I can give it. A spirit that works upon in and through people to cause them to reject the truth of God and therefore belief or faith in God. A spirit that works upon, in or through people to cause them to reject the truth of God and therefore belief or faith in God. And we see this uh, mentioned in Acts chapter 13, verses 6 to 12. Paul and Silas were in Cyprus and when they had gone through the whole island as far as Pathos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Paul and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Resisting the truth, resisting the truth, rejecting the truth, rejecting the truth. This man was working for the kingdom of darkness, and as the gospel was being proclaimed, that spirit sought through that man to resist the truth. But as you know, uh, Paul rebuked that spirit or rebuked the man and said, you're going to be blind for a season and he was blind and uh, the, the proconsul was just amazed at, at uh, what God was doing. Oh, and his heart was open to the Lord. But think of Paul himself, First Timothy 1, 12 and 13. He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor and yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. (laughs) He thought he was doing God a favour. He was in ignorance and he was unbelief and God had mercy upon him. And what a great man in God's purposes uh, did Saul as he became poor. Unbelief. I've been uh, praying with, counselling a pastor, a missionary pastor um, in another country. He's from Africa originally. As a baby, he was dedicated to the python spirit as all the people in his area were. The whole area is just involved in witchcraft. So he was dedicated to the python spirit as a little boy. No wonder he grew up having certain problems. 
So here he is now, a missionary, a senior missionary, having a, a very good influence in what he's doing in another nation far from home. But he got in touch with me maybe two years ago, struggling, struggling, struggling in the mind, believing that maybe he'd committed the unpardonable sin and not sure that he was saved. And, and then having to ask Jesus into his life again and again and again because maybe he sinned yesterday and maybe the Lord left him and struggling, struggling, struggling with unbelief and confusion. And I've recently been counseling another pastor, very influential pastor, uh, with an international ministry. He's opened up to me as a stranger, struggling in the same area as unbelief. These are good men, men that love Jesus, but battling, battling, battling in the mind. It is warfare, warfare, warfare. And sometimes we have to come against spirits of unbelief that would seek to come against us and to rob us of the truth. So how do we overcome unbelief? Uh, reading and meditating on the word of God. Romans 10:17. so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So we need to be men and women of the scriptures. But God's also able to give us a particular word. Now I well remember one night in Europe years ago on a youth of the mission base, it was a quarter past 11 at night and a woman came to me for prayer, a woman from the outside of the base. She said, there's been a barrier between myself and God for eight years. I've had many people pray for me, but the barrier will not go away. Please, can you help me? Please, can you pray for me? I lifted my heart to God and prayed a prayer I prayed so many times I've memorized it. Good prayer to memorize. Help! <laughs> and into my mind immediately came a question. It was a word of knowledge in the form of a question. And I said, have you ever had an abortion? And she reacted. She reacted. She said, yes, but my husband told me not to tell you. Ah. She said, in fact, I've had two abortions. But we have not been able to tell anybody because when I was courting, we were involved in things and, and, and my husband now, his, his father was the pastor, the senior pastor of the church. We couldn't afford to tell anybody about that. Well, I didn't feel it was a time of night to tackle that situation, so I think it was the next evening with the youth of the mission leader's base, wife's base, leader's base, wife. Um, we spoke to her, prayed for her, and a wonderful freedom took place. The shame lifted, the guilt lifted, and she was just radiant. Um, God has set her free from all that stuff. But God gave a word. Thank God for his written word, First and foremost, we need to be people of the written word of God, but let's be open for the Holy Spirit just to drop a thought into our minds, a word into our minds that will just be a key for a situation. So we need to be reading and meditating on the word of God. We need to be resisting the devil. First Peter 5, 8 and 9, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. We are to resist the enemy. Don't allow him to cause us to be a doormat, walking upon us day by day. We are to rise up by faith and tread upon him. Jesus told us to tread upon serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy. So, reading and meditating on the word, resisting the devil, declaring what the word of God says. Uh, Luke chapter 4, when Jesus himself was tempted by the devil, what did he do? 
Every occasion it is written, it is written, it is said. And he said what the word of God said. And the word of God in our mouth as it is spoken in faith is like a sharp sword against the enemy and drove the enemy back every time. As a little boy I used to be fascinated with a sword that was under my uh, auntie's bed. She didn't want anyone to know about it. But it had come down her husband's line, my uncle Cyril, um, a Welsh line. It was a sword that was formerly owned by one of the Caesars of Rome. It had his insignia on, and you know his name. And I, I would say, oh dear Amy, can, can I see the sword? Can I see the sword? And reluctantly she would let me go in and uh, she would take out the sword and I would pick up the sword that was kind of heavy for me and with the insignia of the Caesar, it had been in the family for centuries. And I used to imagine, wow, what was it like holding the sword of a Caesar? Well, that sword today is of no use and I think I encouraged her as I got older, it needs to be in a museum so others can appreciate uh, this thing. But um, a sword's no good under the bed. A sword's a weapon of war. It's got to be taken out. It's got to be used. We have a weapon of war, the word of God, but is it hidden under the bed? We need to exercise the measure of faith that we have. Romans 12.3 God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And as we use the measure of faith that we have, that measure will grow and grow and grow. We may not have the measure of faith to go to the airport and line up, you know, as Meridor did, but we have a measure of faith and as we exercise that measure, it's going to grow and grow and grow. And then the fifth point I have is to be praising. Ephesians chapter 5, 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. We are to be those who give thanks to God, who praise him. And I was thinking as I prepared this, Jonah chapter 2, 9 and 10, what Jonah went through. And here he was, three days and three nights in the belly of that great fish. But something happened and he was vomited out on the dry land. What was the key? I will sacrifice to you, Lord, with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. In the midst of him giving thanksgiving unto God, God caused something supernatural to happen and that man was delivered from that terrible, terrible terrible situation thanksgiving and praise is truly a key in overcoming unbelief and all these other negative things well let me just refer to this book in concluding Um, I've referred to it before it's called Living a Life of Fire 636 pages just an easy read before you go to bed it's uh, by Reinhard Bonke who in a country like Africa is, is probably more well known than a Billy Graham Um, this man was raised in Germany his father was uh, in the German army during the Second World War he had no idea what Hitler was doing had no idea about the the concentration camps the the persecution, the slaughter of the Jews and he was a Christian man and when he came back home after the war he felt such shame and grief that he had been serving a Fuhrer a Fuhrer yeah um, who was doing all that sort of stuff, didn't have any idea. 
And Reinhardt was one of his sons. And his father started a small church, I think about 20 people, and, and he was expecting one of his older sons to sort of take over the work, but it was going to be Reinhardt that had the call of God. So here, this book that speaks of signs and wonders and miracles. By the way, he made the world's biggest tent. It was said it could never be made. I think it was three football fields in extent, uh, seated uh, thousands and thousands of people. Um, with the experts, they built this tent. But it was only good for one series of meetings. It was too small. Um, 30,000 people was too small. And so the meetings would go out to, to hundreds of thousands, you know, a million people in the gathering or more. Uh, God has used this man to this day. And just in recent years, he's handed over his work, the main responsibility to a Finnish young man that was one of his team called Daniel Kalenda. And he's the one doing these crusades. But, but Reinhardt is still involved in, in, in preaching and doing things. But before he tells the story of his youth, the Second World War and so on, he says this, he's talking about, uh, I sat quietly with an explosion building inside of me. I leaned forward to the edge of my seat. My hands explore the cover of my preaching Bible and my foot taps a nervous dance on the platform. Every molecule of my body anticipates what is about to happen. I think you would feel the same if you were in my shoes. It was a tropical night in northern Nigeria. We are in the heart of Africa. The air is warm and moist and full of sound. A local gospel group performs a melody of praise accompanied by a snakeskin drum. A chorus of birds, frogs and incense joins them from the surrounding trees. The vast crowd standing in front of me radiates heat and expectancy. Nearly 700,000 tribesmen have walked for many miles to the site. Many of them are Muslims. Their upturned faces draw me like a moth to the flame. 2,400,000 will attend in five nights of preaching. More than 1.4 million will accept Jesus as Saviour at the invitation. Follow-up teams will disciple each one. Anticipation made my heart race. This is just the first half page I've read. What about yours? I, as you begin to read my story, I wonder, are you like me? Does the prospect of seeing the great commission of Christ fulfilled drive you day and night? If not, then I pray that the story of my life will light a fire in you, a fire that will change everything, a holy fire that will convince you that nothing is impossible with God. I see that some in the crowd tonight are crippled, some lie sick on pallets, others lean on crutches. Not all will be healed, but some of these crippled will walk. I must tell you, when they walk, I will dance with them across this platform, wouldn't you? Some are blind, some and some of the blind will see. I cannot explain why, but in Muslim areas I see more blind open, eyes open. I wish everyone could be with me and see it. Chronic pains leave bodies, cancerous growths disappear. These are but a few of the signs that follow the preaching of the good news. And so it goes on. That's just page one of the 636-page book. And here's the guy. He's amongst us today. German. Loves the Lord. I tell you, when I read this book, I have a desire, oh God, for more of you, to see you move in us as Western Christians. Now, signs and wonders are not the answer. Jesus had signs and wonders and he was crucified. So, there's the preaching of the word, confirming the word, but I desire my level of faith will grow. Do you desire the same? I desire that we're going to see in North America a God moving in such power like we've never ever seen before. How we need this. How our society desperately needs it. So in the days of um, Jesus, there was unbelief. In our day, there is unbelief as well. And I'll just conclude with this thought. I said it before. 
I have a pastor friend in uh, southern Sweden and he has travelled <coughs> with a man who wrote the book The Heavenly Man. Anyone read that book, The Heavenly Man? Okay. It's an amazing book, you'd agree? Miracles, miracles, miracles. You could get it at the Christian bookstore. Uh, that man suffered for years in prisons and torture, everything else. An amazing, an amazing story. He escaped from a prison. He, he had been beaten up. He couldn't even walk. And the Lord spoke to him and said, walk out of the prison. I mean, there was such security. But hearing God's word, faith came to his heart and he got out of the bed, the bunk he was in, and he found he could, he could walk. And as he walked down the corridor, there was an open door. And there were guards and everything else, but it was like they didn't even see him. And he walked out to the front of the prison and the main prison door was open and he just walked out into freedom. It was like he was invisible to all those around about him. He has seen incredible miracles. But my friend who has interpreted for him across Europe as he's travelled, said, he said to my friend, when we produced the English version of the book um, that I've just mentioned, The Heavenly Man, he said, we had to leave out stories that were not in the original manuscript because the Western Christians wouldn't believe them. I mean, it's unbelievable enough now, isn't it? The book, the story, amazing things that this man experienced in the midst of the suffering, how God used him. But he had to delete from the book for the Western edition some stories because he knew that the Western Christians would not believe. David Hogan in Mexico, coming back on furlough, can't say certain things. The American Christians would not believe. In other words, unbelief, unbelief, unbelief. Let's just bow our hearts, shall we, in prayer. Heavenly Father, as I've shared these things today, as I've challenged us all, I, I am too am challenged. I ask the question, oh God, how much unbelief may be in me? I know that I need to grow in faith and understanding of your word and your ways and we all do, Lord. Please be merciful to us as a Western church. We desire to see you move amongst us and through us in such power that people will know indeed that Jesus has risen from the dead. Oh God, oh God, we long for this dimension and we long that the measure of faith that you've given us all as believers will grow and grow and grow. We desire to please you because we step out again and again by faith, by faith, by faith. Thank you, you were merciful to Paul or Saul and he became a Paul. Thank you that you've been so merciful to us. Oh Lord, continue to be merciful and cause us to be the people you want us to be for the glory of God. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.